Proverbs 22, 6. This is our third message in what I anticipate will be a six-message series on parenting. I would call this message, Train Up a Child. It's that simple. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've probably said this earlier in the series, but let me share it with you again. There's harder or greater privilege, hardly a greater privilege, that God gives to people than the privilege of bringing children into the world. That's a pretty amazing thing. Now, not everybody has that privilege. But God has afforded it to many of us who are here tonight. And it's an amazing thing that God has entrusted to us the privilege of bringing life to this world, realizing that every person born is going to live forever. And God gives a child to you. Pretty amazing. I don't know if you've thought, ever thought through what that not only means for the present, but what it can mean down the road a piece. Uh, for instance, I've shared these figures from time to time. I always get amazed. I, I check these figures over and over because when I talk about them and I haven't rechecked them, I can't believe it. But as you know, we have five children. Now, I have told our five that they ought to each have five. Now, if they did, <laughs> can't have five all at once. <laughs> if each of our five had five, and then each of their five had five, and each of their five had five, and each of their five had five, did I ever tell you how many that would be in ten generations? Ten million. Think about that. See, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Think about it. It would go from 5 to 25 to 125, 625, 3,000 something, 15,000 something, 75,000 something, 375,000, 1,875,000, 9,375,000 would be the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10th generation. In that generation, 9,375,000 plus. The point is, when you and I have children, it is not simply a matter of the next generation. It is not only a matter of what happens to them. But we are beginning a process of extending life that is going to be multiplied. Now, if you only have two kids, you don't get 10 million. If you have six or seven kids, you get many more than that. But the point is, you and I are going to affect generations to come, should the Lord Jesus tarry. And therefore, what you do with your children, what I do with my children, is extremely important. And so we need to train up our children, according to this verse, in the way they should go. Let's pray before we go any further. Our Father, we ask for your help tonight, because we have a heavy burden for our own children and grandchildren but Father, we carry a burden for all the children of this church family. And we share that together as a generation of adults. And I pray that you would help us to love them, to be sensitive to their needs, their problems, their burdens, to pray for them. But especially, Father, I pray for moms and dads here tonight and ask you to help them to take with extreme seriousness the responsibility of parenting. And we'll give you thanks and praise for what you'll do 
in this message and in this series for the sake of the children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at this verse for a few moments tonight and then try to uh, build on it a little bit. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Take notice, will you, that the word that begins the verse is train. Train. That's your obligation. Uh, I've been uh, counseling uh, a couple recently, and uh, their children came up. Now, we're dealing primarily with their marriage, but their children came up. And I came to realize that they, along with many other people, tend to look at parenting as simply this. Try to keep the kids in check. You know, if they do something wrong, then stop them. Don't let them do that. Don't let them do this. Don't let them do that. Stop them from doing this. Wait a minute. There's a whole lot more to parenting than simply correcting children when they do wrong. The challenge of parenting is to train them. To train them. To train them in the way they should go. It is a whole lot more than raising them. It is a whole lot more than just teaching them. It is a matter of training them. To train them means to mold their character. Your child is going to grow up and as an adult will manifest and demonstrate character. Some kind of character. The kind of character they manifest when they get older is what parenting is all about. You molding the character. You looking at various traits, realizing this needs to be built into my child's life, and then you go about taking that on as a challenge and a project and say, hey, I have to find a way of getting this into his life, her life. If I want this child to be honest and diligent and responsible and loyal and whatever else it might be, that's something I have to figure out how to do. I've got to make that happen. It's my job. That's train. Mold the character. Training includes the concept of setting in a direction. Now, every child in this church, every child here tonight is right now moving in a direction. Now, the Bible says a child left to himself will bring his mother to shame. You let a child just go their own way, and when all is said and done, parents will be brought to shame. They have to be set in a direction. They have to be moved in a direction, encouraged in a direction. You don't take this attitude. Well, you know, I mean, my, my child has to make his own choices. Well, if he has to make his own choices, I'll tell you what, you better get involved in the choices he makes. Parents act, well, you know, you can't, you know, you just can't make this child do certain things. Well, bless your heart, you make them wash, don't you? You make them brush their teeth, don't you? Clean behind the ears. You make them get dressed in the morning. I mean, there's loads of things that we make our children do. But sometimes when it comes to spiritual training, we take this attitude. Well, you know, you just have to let them make their own choices. Well, I want to tell you something. God tells parents, you set that child in the direction that he is supposed to go. That means when he starts to go this way, you say, oh, back this way. Starts to go that way, oh, wait, back this way. There is a direction that people are supposed to go. It's found right here in this book. And parents have been entrusted with life, these little lives. And we're supposed to make them go in the direction they're supposed to go in. 
That's our job. That's parenting. Hold your place here in Proverbs 22 and turn back with me for a moment to 1 Kings chapter 8. Because I want to show you this word train in another setting in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 63. Now the context of 1 Kings chapter 8 is that Solomon has been given the privilege as well as the responsibility of building the first temple. He builds the temple and the Lord is going to come and indwell that temple. Verse 63 says this, And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered unto the Lord, two and twenty thousand oxen, and an hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. See that verse? It's an interesting little verse, isn't it? Now I want you to see the word dedicated. Dedicated. The king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Now, the Hebrew word that is translated dedicated in 1 Kings 8.63 is the exact same word that is translated train in Proverbs 22.6. Train, dedicated. Say, so how does that fit? How does that match? Well, let me show you what was happening. Because that little Hebrew word means to narrow down or to compact. It's the idea of the term. So Solomon builds this temple and it's going to be dedicated to the Lord. What were they really doing? What was that dedication all about? Well, you see, what they were doing is this. They were narrowing down the use of that building. They said, we have built this building, and this building is going to be narrowed down in its use. It is only going to be used for God. Now, someday, by the grace of God, should Jesus tarry, we're going to build a building, and we're going to worship in it. And we will probably have a dedication service. And what are we going to do? We're going to take that building and say, we have built this building for the glory of God. It's not going to be used for worldly things. It's going to be used for God. That's why we're going to invest the money and buy the property and build the building. It's only going to be used for God. Now that same word, dedicated is train in Proverbs 22.6. So what's it all about there? It says, parents... You need to narrow down the life, the experience of your child to the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, you see, people make this accusation against Christian parents. They say, you know, you Christian parents, you're pretty narrow, you know. You're pretty narrow-minded, and you really limit the experience of your children. Well, you know, your kids are going to grow up and rebel because they, they want to know something about the world, and you, you narrow them down, and you don't let them go here, and you don't let them go there, and you don't let them do this, and you don't let them do that. Let me tell you something. The problem today is not that parents are restricting their children too much. The problem today is that parents are letting their children get a taste of the world. And those kids like it too much. And instead of narrowing down, training, narrowing down the experience of our children to the way they should go, we're letting them get a taste of worldly things 
and they go that direction. Let's talk in a practical sense. You say, okay, okay, I want to do that. I want to train my child in the way I should go. What's that mean? On a day-to-day -day basis, what do I do? How do I handle that? Well, there are three elements that I think are properly given under the heading of train. Number one, parents are responsible to control their children. I don't have to tell you tonight that children are out of control, aren't they? Did you ever watch children? They're out of control. Now, all you have to do is go out to the mall. Now, I don't have much time to do this, but it's kind of fun sometimes if you ever go to the mall to watch people. Are you a people watcher? Oh, you ought to be a people watcher. Remember, though, people are watching you, too. But it's kind of fun to watch people, and it's especially fun to watch mothers with their children. It's an amazing experience. Because here's what happens. Mom says, we're going this way. And little Johnny says, uh-uh, we're going this way. And so pretty soon there's a battle. He wants to go that way and she wants to go that way. And have you ever noticed that there becomes a yelling and, and screaming and spitting and hollering and all that kind of stuff? You ever notice that? And then sometimes the kids do it too. <laughs> You've noticed that. I've watched my grandchildren more closely than I ever watched my own children. But I want to tell you about children they begin to manifest their own will very early in life. You notice that? Now, I would notice this, and as I've said this, others have come up to me and said, oh, I've noticed it earlier than that. But I want to tell you this, by no later than six months of age, little children are saying, I don't want to do that. You say, listen, I want to feed you. I don't want to eat. They don't say it in words, but they say it. I'm going to change you. Uh-uh. I want you to lay still. No way. They are manifesting their will very, very early in life. And God lets us know that we are responsible to train our children, and that means control them. Remember we talked about Eli the other week? And the judgment that came upon Eli's house, why did that judgment come? The judgment came not because his sons became vile and wicked, the judgment came because they became vile and wicked and their dad never stopped them. Their dad never controlled them. Remember we saw a few weeks back David who had his son Adonijah rebel against him. And Adonijah said, I will be king. And the Bible tells us why. The Bible says that David had never ever called his son into question. 1 Kings 1 and verse 6. He never said to him, hey, you can't do that. You, you have to do what I want you to do. Never did that. He exercised great permissiveness with his son, and one day his son decided, well, you know what? You've been so permissive with me, I've been able to do everything I've always wanted to do, and I've now decided I'm going to be king. Parents, you have to control your children. Some people don't understand how to control children. I marvel that people come, their kids are too old. We're going to see next week the whole concept of paddling and what is involved in that scripturally. But sometimes children or parents come and their kids are now 15 or 16 and they say, hey, what do I do with this boy? He is a rebel. He just won't pay any attention to me. And listen, many times by that point, it is too late. It's too late. And what I want to say to parents who come with that problem and that burden is simply this. I want to know for, for you to think through when 
did your child ever get out of control? You see, when children are given to us, this is the blessing of God, when children are given to us, they are given to us very, very small. Isn't that wonderful? Very small. They haven't done anything yet. They haven't been anywhere yet. They haven't watched TV. They haven't heard anything. I mean, God gives them to you without any experience in their life. And God basically says, now I've given you this child. You train him. But somewhere along the line, children get out of control. When? Is it when they begin to crawl? Have you ever seen children who are just crawling already? out of control? Is it when they begin to walk? Is it when they begin to talk? How far along does a little one go before he is in charge? Out of control. God teaches us control our children. First way to do that, it's a great term. This is something you want to memorize. Try this. No. That's not hard to memorize, but you have to memorize that. No. Now, you can use that very early. Believe me, you can use that when they're five months, six months. They're not maybe crawling, they're not walking, they're not talking, but I want to tell you, you can simply say, no. Now, you sweet mommies and grandmommies, let me help you with this. It is not this. It is not, no, no, honey, no, no, no. It isn't that. It's close. That's not it. It's this. No. See, that's it. And then, sometimes it becomes necessary to add to that a little smack on the back of the hand. Just a little. Now, children don't like that, you see. And it's interesting to watch children. I love to watch children. They're the greatest things in the world. I love to watch children when they are developing their rebellion. And mom and dad are telling them no. And they will look mom and dad right in the eye. And they'll start grabbing for something they know they're not supposed to have. You ever seen children do that? You ever done that to you? You're saying, no, don't do that in there. No, don't do that. That's when you have to add the reinforcement. You come over. No. Eyes. Mom and dad, do you use eyes? Eyes are amazing. The Bible tells us that someday you and I will stand before the Lord Jesus and in the description of the Bible given of him in Revelation chapter 1, it talks about eyes of fire. And someday you will look in to the eyes of fire of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those eyes of fire will bring to you and will bring to me incredible conviction for what our life has been. That's why when John saw the Lord Jesus in Revelation 1, the Bible says he saw the Lord Jesus and he fell at his feet as dead. Why? Because he could not stand to face the glory and the convicting presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eyes are very important. I may have shared with you at some time past the experience I had when I went to Germany and there uh, participated in the Lord's table. And what they do there is uh, we were in a brethren church and they share a common cup at communion. I'm glad we're not brethren. Now the only good thing about that was I was second. And so I saw that guy drink and when I got the cup I turned it around 
and I drank. <laughs> but here's what they do. When they pass that cup from one to the other, here's the requirement, that eyes meet. So if I was going to give the cup to Ron, he'd have to look me right in the eye, and I'd look him right in the eye, and I'd hand him the cup. Now, you know what that's for? Conviction. Conviction. The idea is we have to face each other knowing that we are about to take this cup and testify that we are in fellowship with the Lord and our eyes have to meet. Now, mom and dad, learn the value of eyes with your children. Now, you can communicate with your eyes, can't you? Don't you say things with your eyes? Have you ever looked into your honey's eyes and said, I love you? You haven't said anything, no words, but just with those eyes, you communicated, I love you. Then you can look at your child. And you can be up here as the preacher and your children on the front row and they're being bad. You don't have to say anything. You just look at them and you send a message. And the message with the eyes is, when we get home, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> you ever said that with your eyes? Sure you have. And you and I need to communicate. It's interesting that parents often do not make their children look at them when they speak to them. Now, if you want to control your child and train your child, require your child to look at you. When you're going to tell them something, you say to that child, look at me. Let me tell you something. They don't want to. They don't want to. Now, you just watch. You try it. I can remember with one of my grandchildren, I won't tell you which one, but I can remember when her parents tried to get her to look at her that she didn't want to look at her. And so mom would say, look at me. And she's, mm -hmm, look at me. Mm -hmm, look at me. Now, you need to do that with your children. Make them look at you. Why? Because number one, then you'll be sure they're paying somewhat of attention anyway. You'll know that they're hearing what you are saying. You just can't walk through the room and say, no, you can't stop fooling around, and off you go. Stop. Look at me. And then you ask, do you know what I want you to do? Do you understand what I want you to do? Look at me. You understand? Yeah, I understand. Okay, good. Eyes. Control. Now, I'm going to reserve talking about paddling until next week, but that is a God-ordained way of contributing to the control of our children. I don't think most Christian parents understand what it's all about. I don't think they understand how it works, and so I hope you'll be back next Sunday night because we're going to focus our attention on paddling. But understand this. God wants parents to control their children because the second responsibility in training is to teach now, can you imagine walking into a classroom of children? They are running around the room. They're climbing on the desk. They're throwing things around. And you say, well, now I'm going to teach you. Could you teach them anything? No, not until you get them under control. And by the same token, mom and dad, you'll never teach your children what they need to know until you get them under control. And so the first responsibility of parents, and this is a major one, is mom and dad, you have to control your children. Or the way we sometimes put it is simply this. You want to aim for first-time obedience. The first time you tell your child to do something, they are supposed to do it. That's what you're aiming at. When you say sit down, they don't say why. No. When you say sit down, they sit down. When you say stand up, they stand up. When you say walk out that door, they walk out that door. They're not questioning. They're not arguing. They are obeying first time. Now listen, mom and dad, do you realize this? You have to win. The conflicts. Do you realize that? You have to win. Too often today, the kids are winning. They say no, and mom and dad say, fine, I don't care what you do then. I'm tired of arguing. I'm tired of fighting. Go do whatever you want to do. Listen, you have to win. Now, they'll battle you. 
and they will battle you as much as you can imagine because they want to win. You have to win because guess what? God put you in charge. God put you in charge. And you're not in charge because you're bigger. Many times that's what parents think. Hey, I'm bigger, so I'm in charge. You're not in charge because you're bigger. And if you exercise discipline on that basis, you'll do what I tell you to do because I'm bigger than you are than what happens when he gets to be 17. He says, guess what? I'm bigger. No. Your authority, listen, is not physical authority. It is spiritual authority. God has given you that child and you are to rear that child and train that child because God gave that child to you. And your child has to understand that. Hey, my dad and mom are in charge not because they're bigger, but because God gave them or gave me to them. That's why I have to obey. Control your children. Element number one in training. The second element in teaching or in training is teaching. You know, I can control my children for a long time without giving them any explanation as to why we live the way we live. But my obligation as a parent is to then teach them that there are reasons why we live the way we live. You see, somebody might look at the average Christian home and say, you know something, those people have weird views. You people live strangely. Well, what I want my child to know is, you know, people might think I live strangely, but listen, but there's a Bible reason why I live the way I live. There's a reason. It's founded in this book. My life and our home is based on this book. For instance, let's suppose you have a little boy. He's about four years of age, and he comes running into you one day, and he says, Daddy, uh, Billy, who lives next door, is going to the movies. His daddy invited him to go, and he said, I could go too. Can I go? Four years old. What do I say to him? I say this to him. You go tell Billy and his daddy, thank you, but you can't go. Thank him for inviting you, but you tell him you can't go. Four years of age. At four years of age, my primary task is to control him. He may not be able to understand why I live the way I live, but at that point, he simply needs to be controlled. Now, at 10 years of age, he comes in. Dad, Billy's going to the movies. His dad said, I can go. Can I go? No, you can't go. I want you to go tell him, thank you for inviting you. But then I want you to come back because I want to talk to you. And so I bring him back in. And somewhere around that age, whether it be 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere, somewhere along that time, I need to sit my child down and say, now listen, we live a certain way because we're Christians. And we try to base our life on what this Bible says. And then I want to begin to instruct him in the principles of the Word of God. Now, there's not chapter and verse for everything in life. I wish there was. But the books would never hold it all. But there are principles... And listen, you and I need to be very serious about building our life on the principles of the Bible. Now, the fact is, some conclusions that you and I draw may be different. I may say, well, based on these principles, I will do this and I won't do that. And you might say to me, well, pastor, based on the same principles, I'm going to do it just a little differently. Let me tell you something. That's okay. That's okay. 
But your challenge and my challenge is this, to not simply go through life saying, hey, listen, I'll do whatever I want to do because of Christian liberty. No, listen, my challenge and your challenge is this. I'm going to live a certain way and I'm going to find out in this book how to live. And I'm going to be able to come back to this book and say to people and say to my children, here is why I live the way I live. And so to that little 10-year-old who I bring back in, after I told him to thank the neighbor for the invitation, but he cannot go, maybe then I want to introduce him to 1 Corinthians 10.31. And I want to say, now listen, I want you to think about this verse. It says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, if I can get my son and my daughter to understand that principle, they may not grow up and live exactly the way I live. They may make some choices that I would not make. And listen, when all is said and done, that's okay. But at least I want him, as my son, to wrestle with that principle and to build his life on that principle. I want him to have to deal with that verse day after day, week after week in his life. I want him to have to face God not me, but ultimately to face God with that verse and say, I have to deal with this. Whatever I do, eating, drinking, whatever I do, I have to do it to the glory of God. Then let him make his decisions. But listen, it is my obligation to teach him that principle. I have to teach him. And there are other principles. For instance, look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. Here it says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see that word power? That, pow that term power means the dominion. It speaks of enslavement. It speaks of, of uh, power that so dominates me that I'm not making my own choices. I am making choices based on the wrong influences of others. Now I want to teach my child that. I want to teach him that there are things in this life that are very enslaving. A television set can be enslaving. I don't have to teach my son, you must never watch TV. I don't have to teach him that. But I do need to teach him this, you must never be enslaved to anything or anybody. Friends can be very enslaving, can't they? How many people, how many times we ourselves have gotten into trouble, we've done things we really didn't want to do, but we did it because of what is commonly called peer pressure. And we became enslaved to the opinions and views of our friends rather than being willing to stand up and stand alone for Christ. I want to teach my child that he has to go through life enslaved only to one. And that's Jesus Christ. Not enslaved to me, but not enslaved to this world or the things of this world. But if he's going to be brought under the power, the dominating influence of anything, it must be the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing else. 
But Jeff alluded to it in Sunday school this morning. We live in a world that stands up and says, we want to be different, we want to do our own thing. And the fact is they're all conformed to one another. They don't have the courage to stand up and really be alone. Certainly not to be alone for the Lord. But you know, I need to teach my child that. Teaching. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23. It says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Well, you know, I think I can do whatever I want to do. Yeah, that's true, but we are supposed to be living a life of spiritual growth. The term edify means to build, to build up, to build the house, to build the life. And so Paul says, hey, look, I realize you might go through life saying, hey, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want to do. He said, yeah, but don't you realize you're supposed to be a growing Christian? And you ought to be looking for the experiences of life that are going to build you for Christ. Now you see, as a parent, I have to teach my children that truth. I have to build that principle into his life. Now again, as he gets older, he has to deal with whether all things glorify God whether he's brought, in, uh, brought under the enslavement, the power of things, whether all things are edifying. He has to make those individual decisions. And as you and I are here as a congregation of believers, we might all make a variety of choices. But let every single one of us come back to the Bible and say, here is where I stand. I stand on that principle. And then I make my choices. And let every single one of us as parents bring our children to those principles and let them build their lives on those principles. That's my obligation as a parent, to teach. Look with me, if you will, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. We were in Deuteronomy 6 the other week. And I want you to look with me at verse 7. In verse 7, Moses, talking to the adults of Israel, says this, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Now you see the word them? The word them there is with reference to the scriptures. It goes all the way back to verse 1, where we find a reference to the commandments and the statutes and the judgments of the law. And Moses says to these adults, these parents, you are to teach them diligently. Now the term teach diligently is actually one word, one term in the Hebrew language, which means to sharpen by repetition. That's what the term means. My challenge as a parent then is to make my children, to sharpen my children by repetition in spiritual truth in the things of God. Are your children sharp in spiritual things? That's your task as a parent. That's what I want to do. I want to sharpen them in the things of God. Then Moses tells these parents how to do that. When he goes on and says in this verse, 
Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Teach your children the things of God diligently. Teach them by repetition, and here's how and when. You do it when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you're lying down, when you're rising up. And what Moses was getting at there, folks, is this, that you and I do not instruct our children fully in spiritual things by sitting down and simply having a 15-minute devotional time with them. As valuable as that is, that is not the extent of our responsibility. This is talking about you and me walking through life with our children. We're walking by the way. We're sitting down. We're rising up. We're lying down. That's life. That's life. And my challenge as a parent is to walk with my child through life. And when he's sitting down, I'm going to talk to him about spiritual things. And when he rises up to do something, I'm going to talk to him about spiritual things. And he's walking by the way or he's laying down at night and my conversation with him is all about the things of God. You see, it's not simply every time he does something wrong, I'm going to be there to paddle him. No. I'm walking with him. And at every step in his pathway of life, I, as a parent, need to be there to bring to his life spiritual truth. Your little guy goes out for an athletic team, maybe in a Christian school or maybe in a community uh, league or whatever it is. He goes out for a team. He doesn't make the team. Now, I think things are getting different today. I think today everybody makes the team. There was a day when kids didn't make teams. You got cut. You just didn't make it. Sorry, we love you, son, but you're, you're done. You're, you're cut. You know, those kinds of experiences don't mean a whole lot many times to parents. Kind of like, oh, well, you'll get over it, and I didn't have time to run you to all those practices anyway. And, but listen, for that boy, that could be the most devastating experiences of, of, of his year. He can be destroyed by that. Now, do you realize that as a parent, that's when you have to step into that child's life and bring some perspective to that experience? That's when you have to point him to the Lord. That's when you have to teach him spiritual lessons. That's parenting. It would be nice if nobody was ever going to fail our children. But I want to tell you something. People are going to fail your kids. Teachers will fail them. Youth leaders will fail them. I will fail them. Relatives will fail them. Your child is going to go through life and people are going to let him down. And that's the time he could turn away from the things of God and realize that's when you, as a parent, have to be there to say, wait a minute, don't stumble over people. Got to keep looking at him. While others may fail our children, let us understand, Mom and Dad, we can't fail them. We can't fail them. Nobody else is going to be there to walk by the way, to sit down, to rise up. Nobody else is going to be there for that. That's our job. One thing I learned from the scriptures and experience is this. Parenting takes a lot of time. Now, you know what we do as, as parents, as adults? We look at certain things and what do we say? I don't have time. I don't have time. Here's what I know. You and I have time to do whatever we really want to do. You have time to do whatever you want to do. 
and you and I can crawl through life saying, oh, I don't have time for that, I don't have time for that, but you get hold of something that you really want to do, and I'll guarantee you, you've got time for that. You'll make time for that. Pastor, are you busy this week? Yeah, I really am. Why? What, did you want to play golf on Friday? I could probably work that in. You say, yeah, I think golf is the stupidest game in the world. You guys place that little white ball around. Hey, what's the dumb thing you do? What's your waste of time? You know, what's the thing that's high on your list that doesn't belong there? For some, it's fishing. You say, yeah, what do you mean fishing? Fishing's great. I think fishing's kind of dumb. So fish. Somebody else, it's hunting. For somebody else, riding a four-wheeler. For some, it's shopping. <laughs> We don't buy, we just look. Well, I think that's dumb. There's <laughs> the truth. When you find something you want to do, you'll find the time to do it. And the tragedy today is that too often spending time with our children is not high enough on that list of priorities. Everything else demands our time. And amazingly, we will surrender our time to those things. There are men who work overtime who don't have to. The time might be better spent with our children. There are other things that we do and other things that take our time. And we don't have to give time to those things. But our children are low on the list of priority. And I want to challenge you to understand your obligation as a parent. God has given you that child. And you'll never regret the time you invest with that child. I don't know of any parents who have gotten older and said, you know my problem, I'll tell you what my problem was, I spent too much time with the kids, that was my problem. I don't think so. But I'll tell you this, there's an awful lot of broken-hearted parents who look back and say, I wish I'd spent more time with my boy. I wish I'd spent more time with my girl, but I didn't. And the years went by quickly, and I let them do their own thing and go their own way, and I went my own way. Time. Invest the time necessary for your children. It's a lot of time. It's one other thing, and we'll be done. Control your children, teach your children. And people say this, well, you know, again, you, you live the way you talk about living. You're going to drive your children away. You're going to drive your children away. Your children are going to grow up in that restricted setting, and they're going to get to the point where they can make their own choices, and they are going to go the way of the world. They are going to break out of that mold that you're trying to conform them to. And I want to tell you something, that is not true. If you add the third element of training. Control and teach. And the third element is love. Now, I don't think that I would find many parents, if any, who would say, well, I don't love my children. Oh, no, we love our children. I don't doubt that every parent here would say, I love my children. You know, our problem it is not whether or not we love them. We love them, but we don't express it. We don't express it. And I want to tell you, Dad and Mom, you have to express your love to your children. And men, if you've got this crazy idea that there's something unmanly about hugging your kids, hugging your son, if you think that's something wrong with that, then there's something wrong with you. 
God expressed His love to us. I'm glad He did. I'm glad He didn't sit in heaven and say, I just want you to know I really love you. He expressed it. He left heaven, came to this earth, died on the cross of Calvary, engulfed us by His love to make sure we knew how much He loved us. And mom and dad, you've got to let your kids know you love them. You've got to tell them. Tell them, I love you. I love you. What great words. I love you. I meet people all the time who say things like this. Well, you know, my, my parents never told me that they loved me. Then they always say this. Now, I know they did. I know they did. But, you know, back, back then, they didn't, they didn't say it as much. Well, make sure that never comes from your kids. Make sure your kids don't grow up and look back to the 90s and say, well, you know, back in the 90s, they didn't, they didn't say that a lot. You say it a lot. You say it a lot. You tell them you love them. You hug them. Hug your kids. The kids are funny. The kids go through stages. I like getting hugs from kids. Don't you like hugging kids? I love hugging kids. They're great. But sometimes kids get to a stage they don't want to be hugged. You ever notice that? I mean, sometimes they're real little, you know, and they'll hug you, you know, and they'll snuggle with you. And then they get to the stage they don't want to be hugged. Kind of, you can't hug me, boy. I'm not hugging you back. Do <laughs> you have any like that right now? You know, they're... What do you do with kids like that? Here's what you do. When your kids are at that stage where they like to hug you, hug them. When they get to that stage where they go around like this when you try to hug them, here's what you do. Hug them anyway. Hug them. Hug them when they want to be hugged. Hug them when they don't want to be hugged. Just hug them, hug them, hug them. All through life, just keep hugging that kid and let them know, I love you.